House of the Dragon Season 1, Episode 8, Lord of the Tides. We are getting this out late this week. Apologies. But now you can listen to us over the weekend. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, this is our second attempt. Yeah, we've had a busy week and we just haven't been able to get it together. All right, well, with things open up, it's been another time jump six-something years later. I assume this will be the last major one. I really don't know. I haven't looked into any of it. But now that we have the new cast of characters of aged-up kids and stuff, I hope we don't get much more. Um, I, I, I think of this whole first season as basically a prequel for what's to come next season. A prequel for the prequel? Prequel for the prequel, exactly. Yeah, I feel like this this season was set up, and I'm just saying that based on what you've said in terms of certain things. Although, if this is the end of casting, man. Well, some of the younger kids, they might do, but there's no way at this point they could recast, like, Amon. No, because then he would have to look 57. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, I think I was a little harsher in our short review of this episode than I probably had to be, because it really is a great episode. I was just thrown off guard by the casting which i think misfired with the strongs and also just the final scene that there might be a big civil war and at least part over miscommunication like bothered me and i thought it was lazy writing but everything else is just really really good yeah and the only thing i would add to that is i'm okay with the time jumps and such and we had one where there was 10 years however we still got uh, aspects, even if it was just a look between two actors that filled in a lot of blanks with that that gap and that time jump. Where here, I definitely felt some of the time jump where I was scrambling to kind of figure out who was who in some sit- like scenes where there was some new casting and and then just kind of filling in the blanks. I had to work harder for it in this one. It, I could just it felt more disjointed. Yeah, I didn't feel that too much, but I just did feel distracted by the way the strong kids looked but we covered that in our first episode so the habits yeah well things open up at uh driftmark and it kind of sets the storyline for the whole episode vaymond is wants his seat he's pointing out for the umpteenth time that luke is not a true valarian and of course that has ramifications because if luke's not a true valarian then jason isn't a true valarian that throws into question the whole line of succession. Yeah. So. Well, and, you know, he kind of comes in and is like, I don't need you. I'm, this is a courtesy call. I'm letting you know. Right. That's the other important things here is that Vaman says things have changed over there and it's no longer the king that sits there on the throne, but the queen. And right. He thinks he doesn't need Rainey's. You notice, though, here that basically where we left off last episode, that Corliss just takes off. So Rainey's hasn't seen him in, in six years here, and she's taken Bela to ward, but it means that Bela's been growing up with just her grandma, just the two of them. Right, so where's the other daughter? She's I believe she stayed with, with Damon Rhaenyra. And so uh, we did get a scene of Rainey sitting on the, the main throne of Driftmark there, and I remember just taking note of her poise and the way she sat there, and she looked really good. She looked yeah, very she, regal and like she was at home there. She's spot on this whole episode. I... Liked her the first time we saw it, um, but watching this again, I mean, she's really amazing. So is Viserys. So like this episode, I dedicate like to both of them being total rock stars. But she really shown here. I really really like how Eve Best plays her. But Rainey's really shows how she can exist in the background, but still be a very very valuable and influential pe- player. Well, it makes you wonder if she'll remain a kind of backgroundish character 
I hope or, not. Right. It seems like, yeah, she's, she has a big enough presence to perhaps have a bigger role. I like the way she plays the Game of Thrones. And not necessarily that she's trying to be on the throne herself, but how she tries to survive in court. That's what she does very well. Like how she can be a powerful house and stay influential, um, but without you know having the reins of Castamere fall on you in some way or another. Right. The Game of Thrones is a metaphor. It's not literally the game for the throne, but it's a game for staying alive, gaining power, not putting yourself in vulnerable positions, stuff like that. Yeah, so much, though, of this is who's on the Iron Throne, though, in this particular series. Like, I agree with you. It's a broader thing of who has the power. But we could still rank her as somebody who's playing the game well, even if she doesn't have any ambition toward the throne. Or Well, I, I, I rank her high. Yeah. I think she does well. Or... That, and I also like how she plays. Yeah, so before we go over to see who's sitting on the Iron Throne, we just get a brief little stop at Dragonstone. We see Damon is climbing some mountains and getting some eggs. That's kind of cool. It added a little more world building to how... Yeah, we got to see a clutch of eggs. Yeah, uh, dragons lay eggs. And we also get to see Damon excited. Yeah, we see him smile for maybe the first and only time. Yeah. As he gives the eggs to the, the dragon keepers, dragon tamers. What I like about this, though, is it shows how knowledgeable Damon is about dragons. He could have just let the dragon keepers do all of this, but he doesn't. He makes sure that he's knowledgeable about how this works, how, to, how dragons procreate. But it also tells us a lot as viewers how much this is a numbers game of having dragons, having dragons that lay eggs, having eggs, and having eggs that hatch. The side with the most dragons really can be the side that wins. I guess that mountain climbing also gives him something to do. He's, <laughs> he's a re- restless you know, soul. <laughs> I don't think that Damon is lacking for things to do with, now that he's with Rhaenyra. And he gets a message from Bela. So that is his daughter who's living with Rhaenys, who saw that interaction between Vaymond and Rhaenys, and also knows that. Corliss has been injured and might not be coming home. Well, it wasn't even just a come here quick. That was like a whole like letter in that little missive, yeah. I guess. And it also says that uh, Bela has an, an allegiance still to her father. Let me jump over to Jace trying to learn Valerian. And right away we see that this is somebody who cares about things. He's struggling. I mean, Renera at his age could speak it fluently. But she does say, we don't expect you to learn in a day. So for whatever reason, they only recently started his old Valerian training, it seems. I mean, given his age of what we're led to believe here, it's funny that, you know, he hasn't been brought up with it as a, like a, you know, bilingual child. But I I honestly think they did this scene just to give us the juxtaposition of him to Aegon and just what a deadbeat Aegon is and and how little he cares about ruling and and the prep that the high towers are doing for that whether they want it or not but then it's like it only exists as a dream for them but they're not actually preparing for it beyond making it happen but not after it happens and that's a pretty big distinction here of the greens and the blacks well I don't know how have they trained him in any way where do we see that He's still just a drunken fool that he was six years ago. I know, but it's possible he just isn't up for the job. But I, I bet he speaks I high Valerian. Um, 
Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he speaks High Valerian, although he, he might not, or Old Valerian, whatever the language is. And also... Who would have taught him? But it's also like, look at Amond. Would we say Amond has been training for the role? Yes. Right, so, but they're being raised by the same parents, so sometimes it boils down to the kid and what their ambitions are. But I agree with you that the overall point here is to contrast Jace with Aegon and just show us that Jace is somebody we're going to hope might land on the throne someday. The one thing I would say to your point is just that Aemon just got really good at fighting, which anybody can do. Robert did that. Stannis did that. You know, like anybody... Well, these strong boys have not done that. So I would I would think that would be part of training. But when you but... look like a nine-year-old hobbit, I don't know what you're supposed to be able to do with that. Like, I can't believe that we've got Aemon here, and he's literally just a couple years difference from Luke. I just I, yeah. This is where I really struggle. Luke with looks the, like a child with the casting, right? They they said in the inside the episode, would they say everything is in the seventeen to twenty four range? I I think like even less than that, like seventeen to like twenty one or something. It's a very small right. gap. So Luke looks about fourteen, and Amon looks like a thirty five year old man. Well, and- <laughs> I was thinking about <laughs> twenty one Jump Street. Like, <laughs> he looks like a fucking thirty five year old man or whatever he said. <laughs> I mean, but it is like that. And what's just so crazy is like, again, Eamon looks like a man and his body looks like a man. Jace and Luke, they look like... Jace has a little bit where I'd give him kind of that awkward teen. Like he looks like he's like 15, but Luke does not look like a 16, 17 year old or above at all. And then the fact that you mentioned that their dad was this really big dude. It just, I I don't understand how they could have screwed this up. When they were watching Eamon fight in the the yard, you can see how tall they are compared to other people. Yeah. They're really, like, you're not kidding when they're hobbits. Right. Yeah, there's just no genetically compelling reason that Viserys and Alicent would have kids far more robust than... Renera and well, they look all disheveled strong. with their short hair. Like the <laughs> ever since you said Hobbit in our last podcast, it's all I could see. Yeah, and and it, I guess it's just maybe this is intentional, where it's just hard to take them very seriously as much of a threat. Be- yeah, I, yeah, they're gonna have to work with something beside martial prowess in this war to come. I wouldn't harp on that anymore. (laughs) Rob Stark didn't look like much, and he turned out to be a great commander, so who knows. But he still was able, he and Jon Snow still kind of looked youthful a little bit in that beginning, and they aged them over time, but they never looked, I don't know how you can age up Luke here. Like, seriously. I could see maybe how you could age up Jace, but Luke, I'm sorry, that that is just a cute little baby face. It's a a good-looking actor for a 13-year-old. Yeah, I should have looked up how old he really is, but I'm too lazy. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, um, all right, but real quick, what, just while we have this, so Damon walks in while Jace is getting his lesson, and he and Joffrey leave, and the helpers leave. So we did see Joffrey. Yeah, we did see him. Yeah. And Damon um, tells Renera about this letter. They decide to go to King's Landing. But Renera points out that Rainey's thinks that they had Lanor killed, and this will come up later. So we talked about that last episode. I was like, are they... They want people to spread this rumor and fear them, but, like, are they forgetting about <laughs> Corliss and Rainey's if they think that as well? Yeah. 
This was also a moment, though, where we are like first led to believe, and it is what happens, that Rhaenyra just doesn't go back to King Landing for six years. So she's now pregnant with her third child, and she already knew that her dad's health wasn't great six years ago. Do you really believe she has not gone back to King's Landing in six years with all that's happened? It's just a well, dragon ride away, as we learn. Yeah. So I, I believe but like, it because that's what the show is telling us. <laughs> but yeah, it's just this is a, this is something that I don't think fits either her or Viserys characterizations that they are so estranged at this point that they don't even visit each other. Because he loves her so much, and she does love her father. And so much happens in this. And, like, if if you thought your parent were dying, would you just not see them ever? Um, yeah, I mean, well, I, that's just what they did. We'll have to give it to them. <laughs> um, it just didn't... That that was kind of something that didn't totally add up Right. Me. I mean, they left last episode because things with Alicent got so bad, and... Right, but Renera can just hop on over and hang out with Dad, have some tea, and, you know, be back. And, oh, hey, Dad, here's my first kid with your brother. Hey, Dad, here's my second kid, who I named after you with your brother. Hey, Dad, just found out I'm pregnant again with our third. Well, and also, Viserys is so close to kicking the bucket, he could have died before they got there. Right. He could have died a week ago or whatever. Or one, two, three, four, five years before. Like, this is just something where, like, again, it doesn't add up, but it is what it is. Moving on. Well, so they go go there, and the King's Landing announces their arrival, and there's no one there to greet them. And nobody cares. (laughs) And And, um, And that is such a huge slight. We've already commented on this before about people not being present. That's what Corliss did to Viserys as a king. But this, this really shows that the Greens aren't even willing... To even do the common courtesy here. And not only them, but Rhaenyra's siblings. Well, not only do they not do it common courtesy, I don't know if you caught it when, um, who's the head of the Kingsguard? Harold Westerling. When he goes in and tells them that they have arrived, he, he says um, they were greeted as instructed. Yeah. So, as you had instructed Lord Hand, is what Lord Westerling said when. He said that they were here yeah. and, and they inquired. So this was a purposeful, purpose power play. Um, the, the person who did show up was Lord Coswell, who was the one who greeted Renera as she walked up the stairs with her minutes-old baby a few episodes ago. So this is the second time we're seeing him, and he even had a, a another speaking part here. So this makes me wonder if he's going to be playing a role. Right, you'd like to think that people with names... Are gonna matter at some point in the story, um, like they're obviously showed him showed him twice. So, but yeah, so there's like a small council meeting. Lord Beesbury is yammering on and on. Everyone seems quite bored with it, but this discussion comes up. So the they're greeted as instructed comes up, but then they're they're discussing um, what Vayman wants, and there was just an interesting little exchange here. Is that they're like, oh, we're we gonna leave the command of the navy to these kids or whatever. And then Lord Beesbury says, uh, well, his ability doesn't alter his claim. So this just shows kind of what we talked about in the past, kind of some of the flaws of this birthright and monarchy and stuff that there's obviously not a meritocracy involved here. But that's where you get a regent. Well, right, exactly. There's no reason that Luke couldn't become the head of Driftmark and Vaiman couldn't still be the commander of the Navy. Um, or Damon. Um, well, right, but if we're assuming we're keeping it in the Vlarian house... We also get introduced, sorry. Well, 
I guess this is something where like, and, and this goes throughout the episode until, you know, this whole petition is put to rest, but Corliss isn't actually dead. They're all doing all of this and he hasn't even died. What if he survives? Well, right. And he was, they said he was three days out from Driftmark, which means that all this, he's probably arrived at Driftmark while they're all gone doing this. But it, it's such a big move for Veyman to do without him actually being dead. Well, he doesn't want, I think, yeah, right. Yeah, I was going to say he doesn't want time for Corliss to name an heir or whatever, so he wants to get named. But Corliss already did do that. No, they, they did say he officially didn't, he didn't officially name Luke as his person. So I guess you got to put it in writing and sign it or something. But at one point they did say that. So I would say in this in this world... I don't think you have to put it in writing. It just kind of passes. They specifically said that he has not officially named his heir. Um, that did come up somewhere in this episode. Um, but even... Are people officially doing it all the time? Did Ned Stark officially name Rob his heir? Or was just Rob the firstborn male of, of his line? I think it just passes. If, even if you don't officially do it. Well, but this is what a lot of Game of Thrones is about. You know, like Stannis' whole claim on the throne is that Joffrey was a bastard. And that it's, even though Joffrey was officially named, it was a lie. And so I don't know. Yeah, I, I, apparently you do. Because they just, I know they said it in this episode. So, but we also are introduced to two new Kingsguard. Did you catch that? <laughs> they, they are identical twins with almost identical names. <laughs> Sir Eric and Sir Eric. <laughs> Yes. So what is it? So Eric with an A and Eric with an E. Um, oh, jeez. Yeah. I mean, it's like George Foreman naming 15 kids George <laughs> Foreman. Yeah. A-R-R-Y-K and E-R-R-Y-K. But it shows these two again later in the training yard scene. They're sparring with each other. So, I don't know. Maybe keep an eye on Eric and Eric. Okay. All right. Let's see. So, yeah, we see that... We, we get an indication, though, here at some of these small council meetings of who's a green and who's a black. And what we've seen here is the greens have really stacked the small council in their favor. The only one who really, maybe, is uh, Lord Beesbury. Only because he starts to say, like what you said, of like, you know, what does his age have to do with his claim? And he's immediately shot down by... Yeah, that guy. They call him Iron Rod in the book. Because he has like 30 kids. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's not where I thought you were going, but okay. Um, um, I, can't, I can't remember his name right now. <laughs> they haven't told us in the show. But but he right there, you can tell he's agreeing. What he's doing is he's he's paving the way to make this happen um, because that's what they want. Well, it's also all a younger generation on the small council except for Otto and Beesbury. And Otto, obviously, we know what side he's on. So these younger people are don't possibly have the allegiance with the series of, you know, many years gone by. Yeah, and then the last thing I was going to say is just when Rhaenyra and Damon show up, we just see how much of things have changed where the, the seven is on everything. And as you said in our last episode, Alison found God <laughs> and, and all that. So, yeah, it, it's, it, it doesn't look fun over there anymore. Well, and inside the episode, I guess there was a lot of risque tapestries. Like, she, she basically full-blown now she's wearing a big pendant and the way she dresses 
is more conservative. The castle represents that. And the castle doesn't look very fun. It, it looks similar to when it reminded me of when that one Septon took over. Uh, and, the and, High Sparrow. Yeah. One, one minor difference here from the book, and you know the book is vague enough where this might be the case, but the show seems to give, be giving Alicent a much larger role in this kind of stuff. So the book basically says... As Viserys was older and sicker, he left the managing of the realm to Otto. Okay. And then this is, it's obviously to Otto and Alicent. And that is even brought up by those two. You know, Viserys even says like, oh, Otto and Alicent take care of all that now. So we see though, just really how much Viserys has declined here. And Rhaenyra and Damon come in to see him for the first time. And I noted in watching this, we had talked last time in our first impressions episode of how Damon was a bit reluctant to, to come in at first, but then he does. But one thing that I noticed this time was that Viserys said Damon's name several times. Yeah. There's a special connection there. Viserys really loves his brother, and Damon knows it. Well, Damon also called him brother, which yeah. he doesn't usually do. Normally it's the other way around. This episode, you have to kind of look for it a little bit if you know the characters that it's actually a much bigger deal. There's a lot of affection between them in this episode that you don't always really see in other ones. And it's often because Damon's being a dick and pissing off for Viserys for, you know, like good reason for Viserys to be upset. But you can just really see the, no matter what has ever gone down between them, that they're still brothers who, who love each other quite deeply. Yeah, and it's sad that it had to get this far for Damon to finally be the brother he could have been the whole time. Now, you know, people would say, like, he gave Viserys a chance to use him better or whatever, but I I still blame Damon for being the estranged brother in this relationship. So it was nice to see him. Damon just took, like, finally, 35 years to grow up. Right. Right, 35 years and seven children or whatever he's got. Um, uh, he's about to have his fifth. That, uh, that we know of. <laughs> yeah. But right, so, but even then, when they go in to see him and we see just how bad things are for Viserys, you know, it's quite striking and sad. Damon still launches right into his speech. Which says something, though, here. It speaks to the desperation of the immediacy of the moment um, and uh, Vayman's petition, but it also just reminds us again of how little Viserys has done to back up his claim for Rhaenyra's uh, and, and her line to be the successors. He didn't really do much. They, they shouldn't have to work this hard at this point. Well, I think also that Damon um, doesn't know how to be any other way. So he does struggle through his speech a little bit. But yeah, the whole tragedy of Viserys' life is that he was almost, could have been a great man, but he never quite did what was necessary. The next several seasons are going to show what comes of that. Do we know how many seasons? I don't know. I think I saw a quote from GRM that said it'll take at least four seasons to tell the whole story. So, um, Just how... how as long as they don't do season three, six episodes, and season four, <sighs> five episodes. <laughs> Damon is suspicious of the tea that he's drinking. It's milk of the poppy. and You can really it, tell by his reaction... Right, and they've been all season, or since whenever I brought it up, you're wondering if somebody's been poisoning Viserys, and 
at the very least, the Hightowers seem to want him over-medicated so that he doesn't participate much. Um, but also, he is in really bad pain, so you can read it either way. Um, I think it's both. Right. I think he is in a lot of pain, but I think absolutely they take advantage of that and steer him into this place to make him more weak and helpless. I think he he, he could have been in the same exact medical condition, but if Rhaenyra were in charge, it wouldn't be like this. If Rhaenyra and Damon were there, it, it would be different. He, he would be more active and maybe doing better. And Rhaenyra also, at some point later, uh, wants to have her maester look at him. Yeah. So that, that doesn't go anywhere, but there's, there's been several times throughout the season where there's been questions of the maester's ability by Is that just people. another way of saying I would like a second opinion? Right. But I don't recall seeing that in Game of Thrones or anything. So, And then uh, we meet this poor serving girl, Diana, who has been raped by Aegon. Did you notice something different about how House of the Dragon did this compared to how Game of Thrones did it? Showed from her point of view instead of there was else's. We didn't see the rape. We're seeing the aftermath. Right. We actually saw a few rape scenes and more than one in Game of Thrones. We're here. I think we all got the message very, very well. And this, it reminded me of Fight Club where I remember once like it was like the director's cut or something. They were talking about the scene where he goes too far and is beating up Jared Leto's character. And they had to end up editing it because their test audiences had such a profound reaction to the the people watching it and not the actual beating. But their reactions were so like horrified that it affected the audience then seeing it. Mm. Um, and so it just it reminds me sometimes of like you don't have to actually see the violence to really get the feel for it of what has happened. And I thought this scene was really well done because you can tell something really bad happened and whoever played that 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 role of Diana, she did a really good job. Yeah, and also just the power dynamics at play. She was uh, terrified talking to Alicent. It's not like she had to confront Aegon or Otto or something. She was talking to, theoretically, one of the more sympathetic voices there, and she was still so terrified. But well, And we see Alicent here of who she's become and what she does here. So, what do you think she did? Do you know the first time we saw this? I thought she killed her. Right. I thought that the first time, too. But the second time, I don't think that. Yeah, I, I lost that the second time. But they do leave it open. She could have. The only thing that makes me think that maybe she didn't is her giving her the money. Uh, Diana says, I, I won't tell anyone else, I swear. And Allison goes, I know you won't. Right. So that was one thing that led me to believe that. But then the way she was acting kind of cagey. And that I was like, hey, what would Allison do if she felt threatened and like for this, oh, she would totally kill her the way she's acting here and how she was talking to her. And then so when she drank the tea, it's also under the guise of to prevent pregnancy, but it could also just be poison. Right. So I legit thought that, uh, and I, I saved it for us to talk in this podcast of like, Allison just killed her. But then I was like, oh, no, I guess she didn't. Yeah, I'm taking it as moon tea and... So she was given that money, so she's gone. And one thing I just thought that they did brilliant here with this filming is we get this shot of Diana there, and in one hand, she's holding this money, and her other hand, she's holding this tea, kind of like just holding them up and just holding them there. 
And it's just such a, it, it tells so much in that shot. Yeah. You know, here's some money for your troubles, even though not even close to being true, true reparations of what's happening here. And, and that's just the complete and total irony and, and like just ridiculousness of this moment. Well, I don't know what Alice is supposed to do other than what she does. So I agree. It's a tragic thing, but... Um, she could be sickly sweet. Yeah. Well, and did you see who served the moon tea? Uh, Allison's uh, uh, main maid. Yeah, Talia, I think is her name. And we see her later. Yes. So we just might as well talk about that now. She's passing information to... To Masaria. Masaria. So Masaria's still doing her thing and has stayed relevant. And we were, I think, kind of led to believe that she was an informant for Otto many years back. But either she's still an informant for him or she's an informant in, in, in a weird way to keep tabs on his daughter, which I don't think as much. Or she is still an informant for him, but she's got her hands in multiple honeypots here. Or she still is to Damon. Right. And she might just be an information gatherer who uses it. But that's what they do. They collect information and they don't always know when it's going to be relevant or useful, but they hang on to it. That just reminds me, the name of this episode is Lord of the Tides, which on the surface is, you know, about who's going to be named the Lord of the Tides, Vaymond or Luke. But I also kind of interpret it as the shifting tides. Mm -hmm. My point is that Masaria might use this information as a tide shift and she might just, you know, not have loyalties to any particular person. But then Alicent goes and wakes up Egan, who's, we've only seen this guy on screen three or four times and we've seen his butt in two of them. <laughs> <laughs> and he's always got some sort of petulant, you know. annoyed look on his face or either that or just like. Uh, he, yeah, he's just a douche. Yeah, he, he's really an unlikable character. We don't really see anything redeeming about him. At all after he's a toddler here. Uh, and now he's an indulgent rapist who thinks his life is so hard. Like right. it, it's such a, you're just like, you cannot connect to this guy at all. Yeah, he calls it harmless fun. And then this is where we learn that uh, he is married to his sister because Allison says, think of the shame that this brings on your wife and slaps him. And, and they have children. Yeah. So, yeah. let's. Get, so, when Helena comes in, which the first time we watched it, we didn't realize that's who came in. Mm -hmm. But Helena comes in and says, where's Diana? She usually dresses the children, right? So, at least mm -hmm. two. Notice in this episode, so here it's, it's Allison, but then there's a, a way that Otto does it later that I'll talk about. But they interact with Helena as if she's like this precious kind of fragile cargo. So like she like Allison just goes and hugs her, and it's just like oh you sweet thing you just have no idea what's going on. Yeah, it took like Otto, there's an Otto's a little different, but right, but Helena is different than everyone else. Um, but real quick, Allison also tells Aegon that you're no son of mine. Yeah, she disowns them in that way. So right, so I don't know exactly what that means, but she is realizing, and this will come up later at the dinner that. 
her son's a piece of shit. <laughs> and maybe it is better if Rhaenyra's on the throne. They even say, when they meet with Vaemon, of what is best for the realm. Is it best for the realm that Aegon rules? Really? You're yeah. going to fight and have a bunch of people die? Because there's no way that they can take this from Rhaenyra without people dying. And that's because you think he's best for the realm? Clearly, at this point, it is not about what's best for the realm in any way. And, and because they specifically say that in this episode, it's so clear to us as, as viewers that it's about the Game of Thrones in terms of power and authority. Yeah, what's best for the realm is quite low on the list for most people. But I do think that there are some rulers who genuinely try to do what's best for the realm or people in positions of power. Ned was that his hand. He actually tried to do what was best. Yeah, I mean, I think Viserys is trying. Uh, he's not good at it, but he knows that if he acknowledges I agree the, the bas- bastardies, yeah. that it's going to lead to civil war. So he can't acknowledge it no matter what. I agree with half of that. Where The other half where I disagree is, you know, Rhaenyra tells him, you divided the realm by naming me heir. You make a big move like that, but then you don't back it up. He had to do more work all along. Ever since he named her heir, he should have just been on a whole campaign until he died about how she is this and they had time to do it and he did it and this is one of my biggest criticisms of him as a ruler is is he was too lazy and standoffish about something he couldn't afford to do it, it, we're gonna have a show out of it so there's that otherwise that we'd have this one like season series here and it still would have been good but it, it's his failings here as a ruler of why we're gonna get whatever comes next it's not like she was a great um, I don't know, pupil? I don't know what you would call it, but she wasn't the easiest to work with. Like, he had to force her to get married. and She was agreeable uh, at that point. She was maybe not easy for a couple years when she was like 16 to 19. But her uneasiness is nothing like Aegon. Uh, yeah. And she still learned. In the very first episode, when we meet her at 16, she still knew all the houses and stuff. Like... Uh, that was before she was even named Error. She she knows quite a lot. Like, yeah, she has a couple years where she's not great, but like, that's probably most people. Uh, and there was, we still get tons of years here. Like, what, 15, 16 years? Where they could have really, again, uh, sold this to the realm and, and really, like, he allowed Alicent to create such a foothold for her kids, for yeah. their kids. Yes, and that, that was a big problem. And, and that wasn't hard to see. He, he knew. And he allowed it. He allowed Otto to come back, knowing what Otto's, uh, like, where his loyalties lay with all of this. And we had a quick scene um, of just Renera and Damon meeting with Alicent, questioning about the over-medication and where's all the Targaryen stuff. I don't know if we have much to say about that, but we, we see that it's probably true both things, that he's both over-medicated and that he's in blinding pain, as she puts it, uh, without it. Well, and, and I don't know if you caught it. I missed it the first time that I that we watched it, but the second time, she's holding her hand with Damon, and then Allison walks in, and it shows her scar, and she immediately turns her hand to as if hide the scar. Yeah, I did see that. One thing I was just going to say, just really quick, about uh, Aegon and Helena being married. Why? Why Why did Team Green do that? And, and the best explanation I can come up with is 
so that they can kind of stamp out any other possibility of someone vying for the throne. Like if Aegon does get it and then Helena marries a powerful house and then their kids try to get like just basically infighting amongst the Targaryens. It's their way to keep it in house. But like I thought the incest thing was a Targaryen thing. And this is all Hightower. Well, half Targaryen, half Hightower. But it's all Hightower who wanted them to marry. And Viserys just went along with it. Like, that decision was clearly made by Alicent. And then... Was it? I don't remember. Well, because she turned down Rhaenyra's proposal that Viserys wanted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, right. Okay, now I'm remembering. Right, so I think that they got betrothed specifically to turn that down. Cause but, the, but why not anyone else in the realm? Yeah, I well, think... Why not try to align yourself with another house? I thought that, you know, the whole thing with these... Um, no, I think exactly what you say. So that there's no possible questions of legitimacy or whatever. Like these are because otherwise Targaryen. it just you know like I get why Targaryens do it and do it with ease, but it just didn't seem like something that the High Towers, you know, on their end would do. And I just thought that like when marriages are such a, a, a great opportunity for houses to combine power. Right, they could have married him to a Lannister or a Baratheon or something, and yeah. shored up their defenses. Yeah. Just in that scene then with Alicent and Rhaenyra and Damon, And I, I just like this. I actually thought it was funny where he's like, how does he communicate with blinks and wheezes? Yeah. Yeah. He said something else. I didn't take a note of it, but he said something else good. Um, uh, God damn it. Like you wouldn't be able to see him or something. I should have written it down. <laughs> but yeah, D- Damon was entertaining throughout that whole scene. Just grunting. That's <laughs> <laughs> just like you, babe. <laughs> All right, then we get the training yard scene. So this is where we see uh, these two brothers, Eric and Eric, sparring. And then that's just in the background. Luke is feeling very self-conscious, says everyone's looking at them. And Jace is like, who gives a shit? Whatever, that's some insights into their personality. But then they go to see the exciting match. Who's sparring over there? And then they realize it's Eamon. And they're, they go, their faces go from entertained to uh, very uncomfortable looking. Well, and especially... You know, it's like, oh, yeah, last time I saw my uncle, I cut out his eye. Yeah, and they see what a what a man he's become, and they and don't don't compare. <laughs> How they miss their growth spurt. <laughs> right. And I, I guess perhaps that's why we get the casting, is just so that we can have this moment here where they see who he is and who they are. And it's, Kristen Cole tells Eamon, you'll be winning tournaments in no time. And he says, I don't give a shit about tournaments. So that implies he's training for something else. And there's been a long series, long decades of peace between Jaehaerys and Viserys, so he is training for the coming war. And we get this all this pomp and circumstance and music as Vaymond arrives, escorted by the High Tower. The music was really good this episode. Like yeah, this was, was a time where I was like, oh, I really love this, <coughs> this, this music here. But uh, there were several times in the episode where the music was really quite wonderful. So you, you gotta had it to. I even have it in my notes a few times that I already didn't mention it, even though it says like good music, sad music, whatever. But this this part with Vayman, and they're contrasting the royal treatment Vayman gets compared to what Renera yeah. and Danny got. Or Renera and uh, Damon got. But then we see Otto and Alicent talking. And Alicent is uncomfortable with what they're about to do. 
Yeah, she shows some ambivalence here. And she even says, like, now, I, you know, I kind of knew this was someone always, always there, a decision to make. But now that it's in front of me, I'm, I'm finding difficulty, like, here pulling the trigger. Yeah, so she's uncomfortable here. And Otto says, you know, hold your nerve. And Veyman gives us the line that already came up at the small council meeting of, do you want a child in command of the Navy? Which doesn't seem like there's a good reason necessarily it would have to be that way. But we get what they're all saying. It is interesting here, though, how like it, it seems like they have to convince her to do this, that both Vaymond and, and Otto are convincing her. And, and does that mean she has that much power, or is it just easier for them to do what they can do having her on their side? Yeah, I mean, now that the time is coming where Viserys is about to die, this would be the first step of totally undercutting Rhaenyra's claim to the throne. And maybe now that the time is here. It's just harder for her than she might have thought it would be. Because the implications of this is, you know, obviously very large. I mean, and again, she's well aware of who she'd be putting on the throne. Oh, yeah. I can't believe I forgot to say that. We just had the scene where she learned her son is a rapist. <laughs> so She didn't just learn. Yeah. She knew. But, it's just he's a rapist again. Right. But by the end of this episode, she is ready to accept Renera. So, yeah. Uh, so I do think that's a big part of her uncertainty here. All right, and then Rainey's is out by the heart tree, and Renera comes out to meet her. Renera and Bela. No. The other one. <laughs> yeah. What's her name? Uh, no, so she brings Raina because that's where, like, at one point, Rainey says, like, oh, you just, you soften me up by bringing my other granddaughter here, which clearly is not Bela who's been with her. Which is probably in a, a correct... Oh, 100%. Correct assumption. But it's also true, like, it's not an or, it's an and, that, I mean, the granddaughters love their, their grandmother and vice versa here. So, Rainey's... Blames Renera for the death of Lanor, and Renera denies it in front of the heart tree again, and she's technically telling the truth. I really loved this scene again for for Rainey's. I, I loved when uh, Rainey's is like, "Well, this is either a very uh, like a great proposal or a very desperate one," and Renera's like, "Does it matter?" And Rainey's is like, "Well, you are right on that. It doesn't matter." Right, right, and that's yeah. That is correct. <laughs> Nothing more to say. No, I mean, it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's pretty. No, I just like that, though. It's sometimes like putting it out there of like, yep, we, we can talk about this for hours, but yet it, it would be silly because it doesn't matter. But then, ominously, Rainey said, tomorrow the high towers land their first blow and I must stand alone. So this is what she warned Renera about years and years and years ago, that they were never going to allow a woman on the throne. So now it starts. The first blow is coming tomorrow. But then it's interesting that she followed up with I must stand alone because you first assume she's going to go along with whatever the high towers decide. But then she, she adds that little addendum and you know, it comes into play that, as you said, she's looking out for herself and her immediate And Rhaenyra knows family. that because Rhaenyra starts this whole conversation saying, like, I asked myself why you would be here. And then I realized that you're looking out for yourself here. You're not here for the greens and you're not here for the blocks. You're, you're here for your family. Yeah. So I at least appreciate that they seem to understand each other pretty accurately. 
And Rhaenyra visits Viserys. He's drugged up. She asks about the Song of Ice and Fire. And she, they talk about what you already brought up, that you divided the realm by naming me, and you should have, you, you know, you have to support me now. But then she also says, I thought I wanted it, but the burden is a heavy one. It's too heavy. So but she's pursuing it now. It's like it's done. So, like, she's kind of saying, I thought I wanted it, but I guess I don't. But now it's too late, and I'll have to do it anyway. Well, and I also like that she is feeling now what he's felt what right what he's felt and what it's done to him and heavy is the head that wears the crown so i i, I was mentioning a, a big criticism of, of the series of dividing the realm by name or error and, and not backing it up more i am now going to apply it to her as well why did you wait until now to ask for more help from your dad? Like literally now that like half his body is rotted away, he's going to die soon. And now's when you're in his bed chambers crying, begging for his help. You should have been doing this for the last 15 years. You should have been doing this for the last six years. Yeah. When, when like, I just don't get it. How these two just totally like she's Renera's like so far here, always behind the eight ball. And you have to be so much more proactive, and she she hasn't been. And now I'm just wondering, is she going to just be like, is she going to overcompensate for being proactive now? Right. She almost is always reacting to something happening. And she reacts well, and she saves herself, and she comes up with good plans, but it's... it's, (laughs) Good marriage proposals. (laughs) Right. And she doesn't initiate a whole lot. She, She does it three times. And so the first one is when she proposes her kids to... Uh, Allison's kids then she proposes herself to Damon and now she proposes her kids to the the Valarians yeah well that's the currency of the realm I guess so which is goes back to my point of Aegon and Helena yeah and Viserys refers to Rhaenyra here as my only child yeah so it's clearly not true but I think that when Emma died a big part of him died as well and I also think that the High Towers plays for power corrupted what could have maybe been a happy marriage. Yeah. And then a happier being parents and, and all of that. Like, I think it started off that way. And I like that it. the writers don't have to explain to us exactly why he said that. You can, you know, have our different reasons to believe it. We see his morning routine the next morning, which is um, quite unpleasant yeah. and probably a daily occurrence. And yeah. just a nice, funny scene. He requests supper. And <laughs> Otto says, oh, it's, it's morning, sire, or whatever. <laughs> Tonight! So you get a little energy out of him. He's annoyed. And then you have to wonder with Otto, is Otto, was he genuinely confused or was he trying to put down the king you know or or remind the king of whatever so again good uh good ambiguity here it just was funny though like if you're Viserys and you fired Otto and basically said because you stopped doing your job well you did until you didn't and then he was fired for over a decade and then he comes back like when you're in your most intimate moments like wouldn't you be worried about Otto being slimy and slippery and just doing stuff behind your back. Like, I don't know. I just, I, I didn't buy that. They just slipped back into their old roles of once upon a time. Well, Otto's portrayed a little less sympathetically in the show than in the book, I think. In the book, it's, 
he does push too hard, but it's not. He he seems more ruthless in uh, in the show, and he also he's old. He served Harry's, and then he served Viserys. Kind of like Tywin. And then right, and then after Strong died, the the way the book puts it is that Viserys went back to familiarity and recalled Otto back, and Otto was gone for ten years and didn't didn't me- didn't mess with stuff, you know, so. But yeah, then Otto tries to give him milk of the poppy and Viserys denies it. I tried paying attention to see if this would be an indication to Otto, like something's up. And it's like he missed it and then later realizes his mistake. Yeah. Well, so then we get the next two big scenes. So this is really, (laughs) we've already been talking a long time and it's all been just set up for the next two things. But Otto's hand he's gonna make the decision and he sits on that throne very comfortably yeah Vaymond gives his speech about blood and say what you want about Vaymond, but everything he says is true and it's like because he's not very likable and because we're kind of tend to like Rhaenyra's side more than Alicent's side we almost forget that it's all a lie that Rhaenyra is doing and we almost like make excuses for it but Vayman is speaking truth. And then Rhaenyra lies, cuts him off and starts lying right away about Laenor's trueborn heirs. Which, yes, it's a farce that they have to keep up for, for survival of everybody, the good of the realm, yada yada. But it is all, it is all based on lies. And then Vayman says, you know, this is about the future and survival of my house, not yours. But yet I will completely take down yours. Well, right. It's almost like this Vayman not realize uh, the implications of this because Damon even said earlier at some point that Vayman doesn't care about our politics he just cares cares about Driftmark but it's like but you can't be that naive to think that in order to get what he wants it's kind of like Allison where she's like I didn't want this and it's like what do you think was going to happen when you do all that you lie down with dogs you get up with fleas well either way so it's about to be ruled for him most likely but then Oh, this was one of the best moments of the episode, but of the season and of Viserys' character. I loved watching this. So like you had mentioned, like maybe I was a little harsh on this episode. I do have some gripes about it, but after watching it, like I really liked watching it a second time, like quite a lot. Yeah. I like that they, they made you sit and watch all the way yeah. as he walked slowly and you hear every step of his cane. But don't you kind of feel like, yeah, Viserys, like, yeah, you go, you go, man. Like, yeah, I like both was, times. I felt it even more at the dinner table, but yeah. Oh, I felt it really uh, here. But, I, I loved how this was, was filmed. They did such a great job with like filming him and the struggle, but then watching everybody's faces at first. And then the moment with him and Damon, oh my God, I loved it so much. I loved it so much. Yeah, real good eye contact between Viserys and Renera, And then Viserys refuses help from his Kingsguard, but accepts it from Damon. And yeah. it's funny because my, my original impulse, and I said this in our first episode, it's like, fuck you, Damon, now you're here to help. But then it's like, I'm like, all right, you know, I still feel like that. I'm still mad at Damon for not being a better brother. But then it's like, Whatever. At least he's here now. <laughs> yeah, and it just this. It, you get the oh shit looks on Allison and Otto's face, which just was priceless. I have in my notes oh shit looks as, <laughs> as Viserys shows up. <laughs> I have literally the 
this is what I have. The oh shit look on everyone's, including Allison's and Otto's faces in particular. Yeah. But then I also wrote the look between Viserys and Rhaenyra. He gives her a very distinct look like, I don't have much left here, but I'll give you this, my daughter. Yeah. And then, you know, just that, that part with Damon, um, it was just just so awesome. <laughs> I just, yeah, loved it. No, but he starts his speech. He, he starts to, I'm, I admit to being confused. And then you're like, oh, no. It's like, is he going to? Is he going to be confused up here? But the way he presented it was just funny and good. And then when it settled, he's like, again. <laughs> yeah. So, I, yeah. I like that. You know, if you kind of stop and think about this moment, like, is this what kind of killed him that day? Not that he wasn't going to die soon, but like he had to go through so much to make this happen. Energy, he had to, you know, dig down deep for. It's like, the, it's like he gave his last here to show up for Renera. So I have in my notes about the dinner, but I'll say it here because it, it could apply to either one, that it was nice to see an act of courage and bravery outside of battle. Mm-hmm. Takes real like fortitude and guts and stuff. So I, again, I had it for my notes for the dinner, but yeah, I'll just apply it here. It's like this is like uh, the moment of, uh, I don't know, Jon Snow facing the cavalry, something like that. Alistair Thorne uh, facing the white the yeah. wildlings, and this is you know what Viserys. That's all he can do, and it's going to kill him. I so. do agree with you, but I'm just going to throw in: he finally stands up to Alicent when he doesn't have to stand up to her for long. <laughs> right? Yeah, he doesn't have to deal with the nagging. I'm going to die, so I'm, I can do this now anyway. I want to live with the consequences. Yeah. So Rainey's here, though. This is how she is so intelligent with what she does i have so much respect for her because so we agree this was not the plan this was what she came up with on the spot when the circumstances changed well her her object was always i think to take care of her family and so if that's not stick her neck out when the the high tower is going to land their first blow then no right. but once Vicera showed up she is quick on her feet and she knows but she does something else here that i absolutely loved is that she secures her place at Driftmark because she's going to be displaced the moment that it's confirmed that Corliss has died. And anybody can kick her out. And, and like, like, so what she does though, because she's got a good relationship with Bela and with, with Raina, um, is she says in front of everybody so that there's no reneging on this marriage proposal it's sanctioned by the king like at least in this informal way and everybody knows what it is here it's not behind closed doors she says it in front of everybody the these two betrothals that are happening it's also and, exactly the kind of thing the series wants to hear about the the strong marriage alliances the families and this, and, yeah. yeah absolutely and especially like the you know the the people from old valeria coming together um, it's also him being able to be like, I know I didn't do as right by this, but you know, I'm, I'm glad that you guys are still able to do this with the other generations, but she secures her place well there by doing this because now that it's been established, you know, here, at least for this time being, I think they'll leave Driftmark alone now. And especially since Vaiman is killed, but now that it's at, like, even though Jace may not get his inheritance, it looks like Luke will. And, and Luke's going to be married to Raina. And, you know, I, I mentioned last episode, everybody gets what they want, like Corliss and stuff, but she secures things very well here 
and by making it public and saying out loud in that way. Yeah. But uh, did you notice, though, that everybody who's a part of the patrol, though, seems very happy about it? I did notice. The, yeah. It's all news to them, and they all are okay with it. Except Vaymond, yeah, who just can't keep his mouth shut. I mean, is this his character, though, from the books, where he's just like, I didn't get my way, so I might as well, like... I, I He basically says, I'm going to die on this hill. He's extremely peripheral in the book, so okay. I don't know. Because um, it just seems so stupid. We talked about it last yeah. time, but it just seems so stupid for it. Like, yes, he's finally saying what no one else said and stuff, but at the same time here, like, you want to die? I mean, in the books, Damon does cut cut his head off, but it's not like this. This 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 was another thing that I was, like, a little bit rough on the episode four is just eh, a little over the top. Yeah, um, like, completely. And even just him calling her a whore, like... There was no reason they had to add that in. Yeah, why? It's a right. why, why is she a whore? I mean, I guess that I guess that made it okay for Damon to cut his head off, as opposed to Viserys, who just wanted his tongue taken out. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, that, that was just over the top. But whatever, I, I did like Damon, you know, taunting well, he, him to to try to get him to. to oh, because to he say knew. It. Yeah. He he knew what he'd be able to do, and that, and and he was right. He he could get away with it. Well, and Corliss and Vaymond. If there's one way to describe them, it's proud. Mm-hmm. And he's just too proud. So, so Vayman's just so out of control here. And then you just get this contrast of Damon, who's so controlled with every step of this, of like where he's like, say it. Then he comes in and he swipes. And then he's like, no need. Yeah. He's just controlled for every step of the way. I have in my notes, but I forgot to say, when you said that everyone was happy about the betrothal, it was also Aegon was happy, which we noticed and talked about that. So I think Aegon is happy because this confirms that he is not going to be king. This confirms Rhaenyra's line and he doesn't want to be king. So mm-hmm. anyways, so that's good. Some interesting reactions when Damon cuts Vaymond's head in half. But still he- tongue attached. Yeah. And he died. Uh, yeah, couldn't shut his mouth. So he died with it open forever. <laughs> uh, Helena, did, did you notice her reaction? She covers her ears. Perhaps a neurodivergent type reaction. Doesn't cover her eyes or turn around or anything. She covers her ears. But then Amond, Amond's thinking in his head, wait a minute, we can do that? <laughs> so he, he's, he likes what he just saw. I feel there's so much set up here between Damon and Amond. I, I, I just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. As I said, Amond 2.0 or Damon 2.0. Right. And they square off at the dinner. They look the same. They are very similar. Um, so before the dinner, we just have that quick scene of Rainey's watching Vayman's autopsy, which another one of those... She's saying goodbye to yet another family member here. Well, it's another one of those great scenes where the camera zooming in on her face says so much and so little at the same time. Because mm-hmm. you can try to imagine what she's thinking. And she can be thinking any number of things that are all convincing. The thing she says is that she, this, the stranger who is... You know, the Grim Reaper in this universe is no stranger to her. And he has visited many times. And this is just another example of that. Whether she liked Vayman or not, it was her husband's brother. They've lived with each other, I think, quite a bit. I think it also, this this scene shows so much of what Rainey's life has been. of Almost like it's just this dramedy all the time of drama and comedic elements here and there. You know, like, she's almost queen of the realm 
and then it just gets taken away from her because she just happens to be a woman. But then, you know, things are looking good for a while and then they're not. Uh, and then she loses one kid. Like, she loses both her children in a very short period of time. And I, I just cannot even imagine, you know, the heartbreak of, of what that would be. And then, you know, to be kind of estranged from your husband here and just well, the, the way that, like, Veyman dies here. But she, she weathers it of like, yep, and this is life. Well, and Veyman dies within a few days of Corliss. news that Corliss is probably going to die. Yeah. So she lost her Plus, children and Corliss and his brother. Yeah. You know. And finally we get to the dinner scene. So. <laughs> I will not cloud my mind. I must put things right. That's what he, Viserys says to Alicent. Um, when? Right before the dinner scene. Why he does not want milk with the poppy right before. Mm. He, he uses those words. So, put what right? Especially after that big day. Well, yeah, so he's going to try to put the family back together. And... Right, but, it, but it's also something where it's pretty clear here, at the end, especially when he's not totally addled by Milk of the Poppy about the way he ruled, but then here, him saying this to Alicent, what he really wants for Renera. So some... Last minute, deathbed, completely milk of the poppy, addled mind sayings shouldn't so easily sway her. It's annoying to me. Yeah. Right. So I think his last act is going to be to try to will the family back together. For him, not even for the realm. And right. And he pleads to both those things. It almost works. It appears to almost work. So I guess we'll just go in order. Um, so before he, he gives his impassioned speech, a few things happen. One of them is that we just see Aegon taunting Jace. Such a dick. Right out of the gate here. Doesn't even wait for it or anything. So then, yeah, Viserys shows up. You know, he's carried in by the guards, removes his mask. And again, he tries to will this family back together. This is where I had in my notes that I mentioned earlier that it's this was a brave act for him, not because just the way he looks, but this is this kills him. The, the, these two events, his speech entices Renera to raise a glass to Alicent and try to make things better, and then Alicent in return raises a glass to Renera and says that she will make a fine queen. Yeah. So there's a bit of a a healing process going here. Some attempts at peace, and this is almost surely connected to the scene earlier where we see that Aegon is a rapist and a piece of shit. And did you see Otto watching Aegon drink here? I did not notice it. Yeah, because at one point when he's taunting uh, Jace, he finishes drinking, and then you see Otto looking at him, uh, you know, finishing his goblet of wine, and he gets up and he starts pouring. That's when he comes in between them. But we, we do see that Otto continue to have, uh, like, uh, feelings about how much Aegon drinks. Renera and Alicent seem able to possibly be kind and maybe move things forward. Uh, the children cannot. Yeah. So Aegon, or Aegon starts to taunt Jace again. And... I will say Viserys got his wish for a little bit. Yeah, there was a brief moment here. Just for a couple of hours. But yeah, so but what's interesting is so Aegon taunts Jace again, and Jace 
hits the table and wants to defend himself. The way I interpreted this is that Eamon stood up and Jace looked at Eamon and was like, I can't do anything. So I think he is scared of Eamon. So that's when he then decided to lightly punch. He could, he could have also, there. though, tried to have some propriety of the moment and care enough about his grandsire. I know. But the, the way they filmed it with the eye contact and stuff, I, I think he was very intimidated by Eamon. And then Eamon, in return, is disappointed that nothing happens. So he stands up ready to fight and then sits down disappointed. But then Jaserius does have a speech and he stays within the lines. And right after he finishes talking, we get the latest prophecy from Helena where she says, beware the beast beneath the boards. That's a nice alliteration there. Your guess is as good as mine. Beware the beast beneath the boards. Well, as someone who hasn't read... I have a feeling this does mean something, and we will see what it is. But it's just like the Aegon eye thing. You don't know what it is in the moment unless you... I mean, I guess you already knew that Aegon was losing his eye, so you could have maybe pieced that together. But I have a feeling this this is going to mean something. I just... I, yeah. Then she also gives a description of marriage. So at first I thought this was a prophecy, but then I just realized it's about her own marriage. That's the way I took it. So she says, it's not so bad. He mostly ignores you, but comes when he's drunk. Um, or but not when he's drunk. So the, I, I took... Beware the beast beneath the boards is about her own marriage? No, no, no. The oh. next thing she says. She says marriage isn't that bad. Oh, yeah. So it, beware yeah. the beast beneath the boards. That's, I, yeah, that's, that's prophecy. a prophecy. Right. No, but then she genuinely thinks she's saying something sweet to Bela and Reyna. It really is sweet, but she doesn't get at all how awkward or weird it is but right after she says it Otto looks at her and goes good yeah and that's what I mean of Otto also kind of takes care of her the way I was talking about how Allison just goes up and hugs her as this precious kind of but I'm not necessarily I think he was proud of her because these things are hard for her (laughs) so I I didn't see it as babying I saw it as not babying but just uh Almost like they kind of have a different set of rules to interact with her. Like, she's just sweet. Yeah. Innocent. Yeah, and not... Um, Bathing so, isn't not, the right not word socially, here. Yeah. Uh, adapted. But anyways, then, yeah, Jace asks her to dance. And this is a brief moment of happiness we seem to see across the room, except perhaps Aegon that doesn't like that Jace asked her to dance. So I was trying yeah. to understand, was this a slight? Because I could see it maybe, but nobody cared. Like not like Helena and Jace were genuinely having fun. He was being respectful to her. But all of the adults, Otto, Alicent, Viserys, Rhaenyra, and Damon, none of them, oh, I say adults, but none yeah. of them acted like that was untoward of, of Jace to do that with Helena. So I don't think it's a slight. I didn't take it as one, even though it did bother Aegon. But then this is where Aegon get, or Aemond or uh, both? Uh, I think just Aegon. That's what I noticed, or at least have in my notes. Then we get that, that long scene of Viserys taking it all in. And, and everybody... Smile. I, I take it back. We see Damon smile again this episode. It's huge for us. You mentioned that he had an emotional range here, and I was like, <laughs> damn, he does. <laughs> well, I think that Viserys decided, to die decided it was okay to die now. Yeah. He took it in. He seemed possibly to get the family to be happy, and then his overwhelming pain took over. 
And they just take him away and everyone just, as it makes sense so, but they act like this is, yep, this happens all the time. Like there's no real pomp and circumstance. They just kind of take him out. Yeah. Guards. Yeah. 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 And that It's almost like a dog who, who suddenly like peed on the floor and you just have to remove him. That particular filming and Patty's acting just, I don't know, right there. I, th- I just thought that was a really powerful... Well, pa- Patty did this whole yeah. in pain, emaciated old guy thing so well. A great scene. I believe that's when he decided it's okay to die. And then no more than a minute outside the door. Yeah. <laughs> As he's going out the door, they deliver the pig. I missed this too, so this is where like I'm just so glad that I was able to see this the second time because I really enjoyed it the second time, and I missed that pig going down, and then Luke just can't help himself. Yeah, so the so pig, he's not that scared. The pig is placed in front of Amond, and Luke, yeah, Luke is laughing, remembering the the pink dread, and Amond just can't stand, can't let that happen. Which. So I thought about this. Eamon really couldn't let it happen at all. That's pretty impulsive and doesn't serve his greater game. So he's doing all this training to be a big baddie. And you can't lose your cool at stuff like this. No, he, he wants to fight. He, he wanted to fight as soon as uh, Aegon messed with uh, Jace. He has no interest in peace in the realm. No interest in befriending his cousins. He, he would be happy to kill them right on the spot, I think. Um, so he just lost his soul the moment he got Vagar. So he gives a speech straight out of the book. Uh, you know, whatever. Congratulations to my cousins for being so smart. So whatever he says, so strong. And uh, So Allison has zero control over her, her, her sons. Yep. Allison has zero control over her sons. No, nobody's got control over Raymond. And, uh, or Aegon, <laughs> but, uh, and it's in different ways, but there's just no control yeah. here and, and neither does Otto. So fight breaks out and Jason's punch bounces off. Amon. Oh God. The strong boys just got their asses handed to them by both yeah, Aegon it, and Amon. Aegon smashes Luke. It's um, tough to be a hobbit. Yeah. But then Damon steps in and we get the, the stare down. Almost like looking in a mirror. But Damon literally goes, huh. Yeah. And so I I really, you see this face off between Damon and Eamon here. And, and Damon's huh to me was, oh, I know what's up. I know what this is. I'm looking in a mirror right now. You're me 20 years ago, dude. Yep. But he also is like sizing him up being like, I think Damon now knows what they're dealing with with Eamon. It's not, a, there's no surprise coming there with that. And so... This is what I'm, I, I, I asked you this morning, I was like, man, are things going to get really nuts here? Like, I'm thrilled but scared about things being nuts. And you had already said that there's no real, like, just straight out protagonists in, in, in this uh, that remain good like Jon Snow. It, it, it's just, you're going to get a lot of a mixed bag with everybody here. And, you know, we already see it with like Rhaenyra and Allison, I think, but like, is Damon? Are we gonna just see his vicious side here because Aemon's gonna make it that he has to? Like that's what I feel like. What's coming is like these two are gonna do awful, awful shit. I'm not gonna say because we know we're ca- they're capable of it. We can see that Aemon has no soul, and we know Damon will do what he needs to do to protect his 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 
what is he believes his interests are, even if it's people that he loves. I'll just say that if you remember Game of Thrones and how hard it was to watch at times, this is that universe. Are we going to think about this dinner scene a lot and be like, man, I can't believe that ever happened? What do you mean? Like this dinner scene where they're all there at the table. One, that they're all there at the table and they actually were almost all having a good time. Like that there was a time when Rob and Theon were friends, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Then Alicent uh, tries to comfort Rhaenyra. So these adults messed up. It's There's nothing they can do. The kids... The kids have taken over. It's like the kids are out of control. You want to go on the back porch and have a glass of wine? Yeah. Like, what? But the tragedy of it is that they can't stop it, even if they wanted like it's to. A, it's a juggernaut at this point? Yeah. They they can't stop it. They're they're ready to make amends here, uh, potentially. I mean, and, that's just sad. And they should have left it at that. But then we get one more scene. We get the white worm scene, which we'll skip because we already talked about that. Yeah. And then we get Viserys in his deathbed, and he's... Drugged up again and confused, and he talks to Alicent about the Song of Ice and Fire. Alicent, of course, doesn't understand anything, except she understands Aegon, Unite the Realm, blah, blah, blah. Right, and it just, how would she be, like, come on, she's not that <laughs> stupid. She would not be that easily swayed. I already talked about this. It's, it's yeah. silly. We don't have to say more, but yep. this, this one scene almost made me forget the greatness that came before it. They really yeah. should have left this out. yeah. Uh, but then... And we, then he dies alone. We do get a, a beautiful scene of him dying alone. And I will say, this episode and Viserys, Patty, whatever, this stuck on me all week, thinking about uh, this, him, him dying and stuff. And he dies alone, but his last words are, my love. So he's going to Emma, is how I took that. He had his ring on his finger. I'm, you're going to miss... Patty is Viserys. Like, I miss him already. It's like, damn, it's done. What a great run there. And you kind of just want him to come back, even though he's he's done at the right time. It's just, you know we've just lost a really great portrayal of a character here. Yep. Hats off to Patty Considine. I hope he gets an Emmy, and I hope he yeah, gets cast in a lot more shows from here on out. So we have to rate the episode. I'm going to give it an eight and a half. Me too. You you introduced halves last time, so oh, did I? I? Yeah, oh, okay. I thought we couldn't do halvesies, so I, I'll do an eight and a half for this one. Dane would be Mel. a nine and a half if there weren't a couple things that bothered me. Yeah, and Patty's acting brings it up an extra point. I really loved Rainey's in this. Yeah, yeah, Rainey's in the series. The music. <laughs> All right, two episodes left. Oh. oh, and we got that that big number nine episode. Thank you guys for listening. Sorry we got this out so late this week. And if you like it, please consider rating and reviewing. That helps us. And we will have another episode out in a couple days. Yeah. <laughs>